0: Welcome to Episode 6 of The Playground Project with me, your host, Tanya Pomerantz. Thank you so much for joining me. The podcast is available on many different platforms. And before we jump onto The Playground, please do subscribe to The Playground Project for tips on how to create a mindful career and life. In today's Career Connection, as promised, I told you I would be welcoming a mystery guest to the playground. Please welcome my friend and former colleague, Sue McGregor, probably my favorite orange. Remember the colors we talked about? Well, Sue is a big ball of bright orange, and I have always admired her positive attitude, resilience, and the way she takes a get it done approach to her career and to her life. She is a wife, a mom, an entrepreneur, and my friend. Sue, welcome to The Playground Project.
1: Firstly, I guess I'd like to say just thanks for having me here, Tanya. This
0: this is such a great uh, thing, and I love what you're doing. So Sue and I have known each other since about 2007, where we met at the Employment Center. And she is now an entrepreneur with Owl Company, I'm excited to talk to her about that, as well as her career up until now. And we're going to start looking at the foundation of her career. And we're going to kind of go right back to high school for a little while. So, Sue, I'm going to ask, what were the subjects that you did really well in during high school?
1: Hey, Tanya. Firstly, I guess I'd like to say just thanks for having me here, Tanya. This was this is such a great uh, thing, and I love what you're doing. Uh, that's a great question, actually, um, phys ed geography, spares. I had quite a few spares because back then we had to go to uh, grade 13, the OAC program. So I find you really had a lot of spares, at least I did. (laughs) And another
0: one would be uh, marketing. And the spares were just empty time? So yeah, you because you generally
1: you, you would generally take eight courses per year. So that would reach out to over five year span would be, you know, if you took the eight courses. So you really back then only had to have 32 credits, I believe it, it was. So you did have four extra spares throughout your high school. And spares really were just where you didn't have a class. You could go to the cafeteria and play euchre.
0: or go home (laughs) okay okay that's well thank you for that um okay so there we go so phys ed geography and marketing those things all make sense to me for you okay well geography i'm questioning but phys ed and marketing that makes a lot of sense to me knowing geography knowing you yeah
1: geography really i'm not really saying that For geography, in the sense, it was more the teacher. It was a very like Mm. interesting, fun class. And, but it's really about like having a mentor. And that's what the geography class comes to me.
0: But really, it's not about the geography. It was more about the class. Yeah. Yeah. That again, that makes, that makes sense. And so, did you know, did you know what you were going to be doing after you graduated from high school?
1: Oh my goodness. No. (laughs) I mean, I wanted to be a teacher, but again, with the grade 13 program, I did not have the OACs. I needed, I believe, two more in order to graduate and be able to go on to university. And after high school, I was kind of like, I'm done with school. So I took a, a year break on that one. But no, I didn't know what I wanted to be.
0: Okay so you took a um some people call it a gap year did you intend on it being just a, a a year break or did it extend beyond that year
1: It definitely it was intended just to be a year break and so the the high school that I went to was there was not semesters it was eight classes from September to June the same eight So wow um, yeah so it really and so thankfully, I don't think there's any more high schools that are like that because that's really tough. You know, so I, I ended up in the September over the summer thinking about it and working. I ended up in the September going to a semester school to pick up those two Ontario credits so that I could go to university.
0: Because otherwise, you would have had to go back and take an entire year yes, to yes. get those credits. Okay. Well, yeah. so the system was definitely flawed, I would like to
1: say, back then. It's designed a lot better now. You can finish earlier or you can, you know. Yeah. So it's it's a lot better now. But no, I, again, I didn't really know. So I went to that high school, signed up for the two credits wasn't really feeling it. went in and spoke with the guidance counselor. And at that point, I did like a career cruising type, some different personality type things. And what came from that is then what I moved on to. Those were very helpful tools for me, Excellent. which is interesting when you knowing my history and what then I did do, well,
0: I do you know. but yeah, but but our our listener, do tell our listener what what first of all what what tests you took do you remember i, I it was some sort of career cruising i
1: think it was called career cruising at the time i mean again this is back in 1991 so we're going back a ways um, a little bit but yeah, yeah. yeah
0: it wasn't it wasn't career cruising because i don't i think that that became in in the like the late 90s or 2000s? Yeah.
1: So it definitely was though something along those lines where at the end uh-huh. of kind of the tool in the questionnaire that you fill in, it was about, you know, a lot of social services, a lot of working with children, a lot of that teaching aspect of something that I, you know, what uh-huh. I really had thought I wanted to be. But the guidance counselor helped me realize that, you know, academically, it wasn't for me to go to university, but it doesn't mean you still can't utilize those tools and what you want to be and, and move and do something different. So that's where, you know, the the guidance counselor really helped and let me know that there was all these different programs at Algonquin for like mm. social service worker, child and youth worker, um, community and justice services. So that's what I kind of thought, you know, it, it here's a break. Here's something I can do and I don't have to go to university for four
0: or five years. hmm hmm Yeah. Okay, now that again, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, <laughs> and I, I have to say that i I wasn't given that opportunity to go to college. like it was always you're gonna go to university,
1: right, right. And
0: I really excelled at the at college. so and and I have a feeling that that you and I kind of have that same way of learning, yes, and, and style of learning and stuff. so, When you did make that decision, okay, I'm going to go to Algonquin, what did you take?
1: So I had, it was funny because I applied for three different programs. I applied for social service worker, child and youth worker, and correctional worker. It's that program, correctional worker, is now called Community and Justice Services. Okay. So I was accepted right away into the Community and Justice Services Probably because the female to male ratio at that point was probably 10 to 40 of females to males. Wow. Yeah. So that's probably why I got into it right away. I was put on the wait list for the child and youth worker and the social service worker. Because I believe at that point you could apply for three at a time. So I decided Mm -hmm. to take the uh, correctional worker one and started it. And loved it, got into the other two. They sent me a message over the long Labor Day weekend and said, because we started a week earlier back then. And they said, you're accepted. And so I did, de- but I decided to stay into the uh, correctional worker one. Yeah. Why? Probably at that point, it was fun. It was like physical, there was fitness training, you know, there was a lot of boys in the class. <laughs> And the girls were were fun and they were, you know, I liked that it was so small. It was my first experience with college. I really had no idea what college was all about anyways, but it was, you know, a classroom of 40 people. And so you really got to know these people. We had gone in like the week previous and we had this great big week of fun, get to know everybody. So I felt like, oh, these are my people. I need to stay in this. So I did. I love that. I think that That's
0: wonderful. And so how long was the, was the program?
1: So the program was two years, but part of that program, which is such a great thing is that they do a co-op like an internship Uh and that is for about four months. So you get on the job experience. And so we had different options of what you could choose. You had to give them three choices of where you would like to do like a field placement at. And so The one that I did was with the Children's Aid Society. So I found with that program, the Correctional Worker Program, you could really go to the justice side or you could go to the family-oriented side. So I chose to go to the family-oriented side. So I worked with the Children's Aid Society in one of their residential homes that they had for girls back then. It was over on Springhurst, which is in um, Ottawa South near the Riverside area. And I worked with a residential home for six girls. With workers 24 7. So, yeah, it was great. I just loved it. Did you have
0: to, you're saying it was 24 7. So you had night shifts?
1: Yes. Yeah. So basically, you were assigned a full time um, worker and you worked Mm -hmm. with them. So, whatever their shifts were, that's what you worked. So I just followed their schedule with them and you're one on one with that person. They're your mentor for the entire four months. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was pretty good. It was great. Yeah. It is, it's a great, and so that, again, for college for me, that's not something I would have gotten in university, the really having the one-on-one, um, which is what I needed at that time.
0: No, you, you're, you're right. And I'm thinking about that, you know, the, the small classes and the actual sense of hands-on learning. Do you remember Algonquin used to have the slogan, Algonquin works? Yes. Yeah, because yeah. it does. It, it gives does. you that opportunity. I it think does. that's I think that's terrific. So that was kind of, was that your first job? Did you stay at the Children's Aid Society after I you I did, worked?
1: yeah. So that was my first real kind of career job. I um, stayed with the Children's Aid, got hired on. I got hired on to be a, an overnight worker, a sleeping overnight worker. So um, that was with a parent model program that they had. Back there where it was I think they still have those going so it's actually like a foster couple that live in a home and they have four at this this particular place they had four girls that came and lived with them because you know they're going through different issues some were young some were older going through different issues with their family mental health what have you where they needed to have more supervision than what the parent could provide uh-huh or the parents were non-existent in their life, so they were awaiting to have a full-time foster home. So I worked as a night overnight worker with them, and then, in turn, kind of moved up and got promoted. And then I actually ran my own parent model program, where it was I worked as a single mom in this parent, mo- parent model program and had kids living with me. Wow! Yeah. And how old
0: were you at that time when you were when you started the Children's Aid Society journey?
1: Probably twenty three, twenty four. 24.
0: Okay. I know, young. <laughs> young, but obviously, you know, very strong leadership qualities and responsibility. And they noticed that because you were there. And so ultimately, how long were you at the CAS?
1: So I think I was at the CAS for probably about three or four years. And I did a stint with our residential homes out in Canada. And which had more um, group home facilities. <clears throat> That's what they called them back then, group homes. And so um, I went on with that company and was the program manager with them um, for quite some time. And I think it was in 2004 or five, I left there and then went with the school board. Because the school board was starting to have a lot more um, educational assistants working one-on-one with students, and I had children at the time as well, so I just I felt it was a good move. So I moved on to the school
0: board. Okay, so you were an educational assistant, and when you were doing that as an EEA, what type of of um, classrooms were you in? A lot of times, you hear classrooms of of students with special needs have assistance and educational assistance. Was that your situation as well?
1: Yeah, for sure. So um, I did a couple of different contracts. One of them was working in a special education program in a um, school downtown in Westboro. And so they had uh, six students in there with severe special needs that needed a lot of direction. So there was actually probably about three educational assistants in that classroom with this special education teacher. And so we would work one-on-one with all those students and just take them through their day. They mostly just stayed in the classroom and, you know, went out for phys ed or went to the gym or, you know, went for lunch, that sort of thing. And then from there, I moved on to work. I got a a contract working in two high schools side by side, and they were um, working in their job coaching program with young special needs um, youth that were needed to go out into the forest to get some kind of they did like a co-op, but it was just, to, you know, so it was. One of the the students, like I would help him get on the bus and I would take the bus with him and he would go work at Pizza Hut and I would go sit at Pizza Hut and go through what he had to do as he was working there. He washed the dishes, he set the table, and then I would help him go back on the bus. And then so that took pretty much a semester where you would teach them what bus to take, make sure you had enough money, um, you know, the route to take so that eventually towards the end, they were riding solo, doing the entire work from leaving school to getting back to school at the end of the day, they were doing it on their own. So that was a great, that was very rewarding. I love that. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, that, that sounds incredibly fulfilling, you know, to kind of lead from that. I'm wondering what kind of skills or, or qualities, characteristics people should have or it would benefit um, someone to have if they were doing this kind of job? What do you think? Definitely
1: a passion. Passion for the work and passion for the the students. The students are tough. They're tough. Students with special needs. It's not something that I really had had a lot of experience in. It's not some, anything I had education in, that's for sure. But definitely having a passion for working with that type of clientele I was able to, you know, back what I had mentioned about wanting to be a teacher. This was kind of right up my alley. This was something that, Mm -hmm. you know, I felt passion for because it's something that I wanted to do. So I was teaching more life skills than academics, which was really helped me in being able to keep with the passion and what I wanted to do. I would say someone that's organized and, Mm -hmm. and able to speak like not be afraid to speak out of turn because you're advocating for someone who potentially can't speak for themselves,
0: really. Right. Yeah. You know, I'm still copiously taking notes.
1: I know, I know, that's okay. (laughs) I
0: think that's, I, I think this is really, I think this is important because a lot of times, like I love that you went to your guidance counselor and it sounds like it was a very, informative and helpful experience. A lot of times you hear the opposite that they they tell people that they're stupid or yeah. that they they shouldn't be doing this because it for whatever reason and they they really take away people's confidence in themselves yeah. and in their futures. And it sounded like you had a good one.
1: Yeah. So again, but this was not at my regular high school that I went to from nine to grade 13. This was, yeah. So that's where, but I think in going to a semestered school, you know, when I went after I graduated from my regular high school, I think that the guidance counselors there, they saw this a lot more because they saw people coming in just like me that had to pick up one or two credits and had to switch high schools. So I think that they probably saw a lot of lost souls that were like, What am I going to do? I, so that was helpful. But it kind of all ties into where, you know, you and I met with employment and job development, right? Like doing that job coaching was, was really a lot of job development as well.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. absolutely. And my question to you then is, Did you feel lost? I did. Yeah. I had really supportive
1: parents though that were, I was lucky that way, you know, whatever I wanted to do, they were behind me. So that was helpful. It would be, it would be a tough situation to be in if you didn't have someone supporting you. And I don't mean financially. I mean, you know, someone, someone saying, yeah, no, I do think you can do this or that was helpful.
0: Yeah. That emotion, that emotional support and, um. No, I, I totally agree with you. But it, people can still, a lot of a lot of young people feel that sense of what am I going to do now that I've finished my education? And I always say that it's like you've been on this kind of conveyor belt for your whole life. And then all of a sudden, you you finish school and you don't want to be a doctor. You don't want to be an engineer. You don't want to be a lawyer. And now what are you doing? You're kind of just floating through life almost because right. you're not really grounded. One of the things that I we talked about in the last episode with Marg was the sense of values and living by your values. When do you think you were able to understand the importance of your values and living by them?
1: I think like I'd have to say once I was out working, like after, like during my field placement that I did, I really got a sense for, like, I think I really understood them then, you know, mm-hmm. living, like working with these young girls whose parents had left them or whose parents were having issues or, you know, they didn't have the support of their parents. I think that that's where it kind of tied in for me. Yeah. I think from there, that's where, and, and and I was passionate. So I was like, this is what I want to do. I, I no longer (laughs) felt that I needed to go to university to pursue being a teacher. I felt, oh, I can now, you know, move on in my career. This is what I want to do tweaking it here and there but this is what i want to do
0: it's that sense of uh you know almost waiting to exhale and you finally you're able to exhale because you have that that feeling of of self-awareness which i think is fantastic yeah and so then we met and Then we met <laughs> and then lots and lots of conversations later we both left the employment center yes did you know what your career was going to look like? Like even back then, even let's say 2007-ish. Did you know cuz you were a job developer, right? Mhm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I was. Honestly, I still I and I looking back at my career, I felt like I always was wondering what I was going to continue to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, working in a nonprofit that was dependent on funding year to year, you're wondering, is this still going to continue? Are we still going to get the funding? Is whoever's in government, are they still going to be all for the employment uh, funding? So there was always a question of that. I always felt that I wanted to get out of the nonprofit sector, but I didn't. But
0: (laughs) until recently, (laughs) Yeah. Did you ever, and and I'm throwing this as a curveball for you, did you ever want to get into the government?
1: I did. Yeah. But I just, I never pursued it. Something always fell into place. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It was always a thought though. Because all my parents worked. In the government? All my my parents, meaning because I had step parents, but yes, all my parents worked for the government. Yeah. So it was always just something, well, that was always just something that I felt like I kind of had to do. That's what people do. I did Yes. That (laughs) nine
0: to five kind of, but that's interesting because you're not a nine to five kind of sit behind the desk gal. No. Is that a fair thing to say? That is a fair thing to say. Absolutely. I
1: mean, I did it for many years and it was something that I always wanted because I did work shift work and I worked back shifts and working on the weekends and it was always something I wanted to get out of but then when I was in the 9 to 5 behind a desk I found it tough. I found I didn't have the passion. You Ooh. Yeah.
0: No, I'm smiling at the at the idea <laughs> of, of that. And so how did you make the the leap to become an entrepreneur? Like you left the nonprofit world mm-hmm. and and then you became an entrepreneur. So please do do tell us how that happened.
1: Well, in 2019, I was laid off from one of the nonprofit places that I worked at. And I just, my husband had a passion for working with wood and he started building some things. And I was like, I could paint that. I could, I could make that a sign. So I started doing some little projects for myself, did some for my parents, did some for my friends and the people said, I think you could sell that. So I started selling some just as a hobby. And in the in the interim, during that entire probably four-month period, I was also applying for positions, doing some interviews, turning down some jobs. You know, that just – I was kind of looking for that, that perfect next step. Uh-huh. And so one did come along. I was a uh, – I got hired on with another nonprofit as a development director with Child and Youth. Uh-huh. And I was so excited for that. But I kept my hobby going. My uh, owl business where we made signs and and things like that. So I kept it going. kept And it kept getting more and more lucrative. And so I continued to kind of do the both for about two years. And then I finally just decided that I want to make this this leap. I think it comes from... You know i I enjoyed being the boss at as the director at the mm. with the Child and Youth Development Program, but I felt like
0: I want to do my own thing, so if one is single or didn't have a partner, right, do you think it would be possible to do that?
1: I, I think it would be. I mean, financially, the business that I was in definitely took it needed some finances up front. Not, not a lot under $500. Maybe you could start what I was doing, but in turn, then, you know, you would start to, because I work with a lot of tools, a lot of different types of machinery. The skill was all really self-taught and and passion for, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it would be possible. I think starting off full time with no finances would be very difficult but definitely starting off but there are
0: programs out there that can help with new mm-hmm. new mm-hmm. entrepreneurs for sure and interestingly enough or ironically enough they're probably nonprofit and they probably are dependent on funding exactly and that's that whole circular kind of kind of situation so what advice do you think you would give a, a young person who's just starting out and who's thinking about becoming their own boss?
1: I would say definitely to find something that you're passionate about, something that brings you joy. It sounds like Marie Kondo. Yes, it does. That's but spark- it's true. That's sparking joy. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, something that, you know, you're passionate about that, you know, you're not going to be bored with when when you don't have a sale going on, or you don't have um, orders coming in, like something that's going to continuously keep you passionate, because I think if you have the passion, then you have the want to do it. I would say definitely to do a lot of research, what works, what doesn't work, follow a lot of people, social media is so big right now that there's so many different people to follow, you can search even in tiktok for under uh, hashtags you know entrepreneur starting out and you'll get all these videos that come up it's just there's so much out there to help you out as research tools as research tools absolutely yeah
0: and so when you speak about social media um, you've got you create signs and yes. I saw your your wares at at a, a show with you know a few months ago, that's right, yeah. and they're lovely, and um, they're they're I, f- I found them warm and kind of that rustic meets luxe. If I saw that, yeah, you know, kind of, yeah, and it's um I'm wondering what if you're not good at math. And Mm -hmm. the accounting and all that. The hard part about being an entrepreneur.
1: Yeah, so so definitely that is me. I am (laughs) not strong in math. I have a few friends that are. And they are willing to help me tremendously. Like with spreadsheets. I mean, I can definitely create Excel spreadsheets. And those sorts of things. I'm not great at the formulas. So I'm always, Mm. you know, connecting with my friends. There's a lot of accountants out there that have social media groups where they give free advice constantly because that's a mm-hmm. great way for an entrepreneurial accountant to kind of generate business right is to like giving off free advice people are going to follow you and then they're gonna all of a sudden be like why am I doing this this person's going to do it for me so yeah, I would I would say someone that's not good in math, which is absolutely me, it still can happen. Huh. Yeah, there's okay. so many programs out there. Yeah, that's very encouraging. Yeah.
0: yeah. So at this point in your life, which is uh, a phenomenal time, you know, we're <laughs> of we're of that same, you know, generation and vintage in our 50s. <laughs> what what's next? Well, my
1: husband's retired, so we're kind of. We're both working on this business together. You know, we're just kind of working from home. We work out of our shop. What's next is just probably continuing to do this. I'm kind of finding my niche right now. I kind of can personalize or customize anything really for someone. But I'm really enjoying working with other businesses and, you know, creating logos out of wood or um, personalizing things for businesses you know whether that be shirts or mugs or pens or or anything like that yeah so i find you're you're consistently growing and maybe even finding new passions in your career i'm fifty one years old i've had a lifetime of different things but i find they've always kind of you know it might be a snake in the road kind of way to get there but they've all been flowing to get me to a certain point um, in my career. Yeah. The thread. The right? thread. Yeah. And I I really have found over the years that I've learned a lot from the people I've worked with. I've learned you know and and I'm I find that you can grow from all those different experiences. Working with certain bosses teaches you what you don't want to be if you're ever a boss or teaches you what you do want to be if you're a boss um you know you learn to be appreciated or and how you're not appreciated and you know when it's time to move on when it's not time to move on I mean I like your your puddle jump or the the playground where you say explore discover and and have fun that's like Mm. Kind of, I feel like that's been kind of my motto. Like every career I've been in, I've been exploring, I've been discovering, I've been having fun and not fun in the sense of, you know, we're having sit downs and hanging out all the time with all your co workers. I mean, like fun as in it's bringing joy. It's, you know, it's what you want to do. You feel passionate. You're happy. It brings, you leave and you go home and you're still happy.
0: <laughs> yes. I really love that. And when you said that that it's kind of like has been your career, I can see that. And and being able to explore and explore yourself too. That's the exciting part about getting older, I, I think. And you never know what is going to be coming and and what what you're going to do, but it's that sense of joy. That's so that's so important. And there's things that come up that you may never have thought about. But if you're open to them, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's what it's about being. And what I'm hearing too is the importance of knowing your community, of knowing your tribe. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's that's so, so significant, especially as women. I think that that's an important element. And I mean, Tanya, I mean, you and I are a perfect example of that. I
1: mean, when did you, when did we stop working together? Two thousand twenty fourteen. 2014. 2014 and yep. we're now almost 10 years later and we're still connecting personally yep. and connecting career-wise like that yep. I think that's something important I think that's something that in every career or profession that you get in making those connections networking keeping the positive ones you know doing away with the ones that don't spark joy anymore
0: that sort of thing yeah that's true I like that and thank you for always sparking joy and making and pushing me to you know be as orange as I can <laughs> and take risks and think outside of the way that I normally do and try to be less anxious about things and just seeing the way that you look at life and and being so resilient and able to get through everything and feel like nothing is a problem i don't know if that's the case or if it's just something you
1: Portray. You know, present At to a, the
0: world. I, I think it. I it,
1: it. A lot of it is the case. Yeah, a lot of it is. I really try to not sweat the small stuff. Really, it's it's a great model. It's an old cliche, but it's a great motto.
0: Well, I love it, and I love you, and I I thank you so much for being part of this, part of this experience, part of my world, part of my positive warriors. Um, you know, that's so important. We never know what's going to happen. And to have friends like you is invaluable.
1: Oh, thank you. That's very sweet. I feel exactly the same. Thank you so, so much, Tanya.
0: During our chat in today's episode, Sue and I talked about her career, the leap she took to become an entrepreneur, and what's next in her future. For Sue, what's next is continuing along the same journey, always focusing on what brings her joy while being open to anything new that may come her way. Sue demonstrated the importance of knowing yourself, your strengths, skills, aptitudes, and values. As we've talked about before, this self-awareness is the foundation of mindful career development. What about your foundation? Do you know what makes you tick? What would drive you crazy if you had to do it every day? Could you spend your days working at a desk job? Or does that idea just make your skin crawl? These are the kinds of things it's important to know when you're constructing your own career. Thank you for spending your time with me. Please join me for the next episode. I am once again super excited about my next Mr. Guest, someone who happens to be one of the nicest people you could ever meet. If you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe to the podcast and follow me on Instagram at PuddleJumpCoaching001. Exciting stuff! A monthly newsletter is in the works and you'll be able to sign up on my website, puddlejumpcoaching.com. It's going to be filled with helpful information about career assessment tools, different occupational profiles, a recap of the month's episodes, some life coaching tips and some good old fashioned career advice. It's funny. Doing this with you makes me feel like I'm not alone on the playground. I hope you feel this way too. Here's to a beautiful week and jumping into the future together.